Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Greetings to all of you. I want to welcome all of us at Center Street Church, those of us here at Central Campus, as well as those watching from our campus in Northwest Calgary, Bridgeland, Airdrie, and South Calgary. I also want to welcome our online viewers as well. Last weekend, we started off our summer series that revolves around the questions Jesus asked in the Gospels. Asking questions was a common teaching style of Jesus. Rather than spoon-feeding spiritual truths, Jesus used well-directed questions to make people to reflect and send them on a journey of discovery. The previous weekend, we started off with the question, who do you say I am? And as I challenged us, this is a question we have to ask ourselves every day. Because how we answer this question will determine how we will follow Jesus. Today we're going to look at another question. And this is a popular question of Jesus. He repeated the same question a few different times in a few different ways. Now you expect the king of the universe to ask the question, what can you do for me? After all, that's what many people in power do. They want everyone to serve them. They leverage their power so others can wait on them. But rather than asking, what can you do for me? Jesus asked the question, what can I do for you? Among all the questions that we will be looking at this summer, I tell you this is one question I wrestle with the most. I found in my own life this is not an easy question to answer because I often don't have clarity of what I want from Jesus. Oscar Wilde, in one of his plays, writes, In this world, there are only two tragedies. One is not getting what one wants, and the other is getting it. You know, how often we ask God for the wrong things. And that's because we have lots of desires, but we don't really know what our true needs are. We are clueless about what will make a lasting difference in our life. Most of our desires are mere symptoms that point to a deeper need within us. If we only address the symptoms, the problem will never go away. When a person is uh, looking to buy yet another expensive boat to add to their list of cool gadgets, they're not just looking for a boat, but behind that is a search to cure their boredom. More amusement and entertainment is certainly not the answer. When people look for sex and move from one partner after another, it reveals a deeper need that sex can never satisfy because they're longing for intimacy. When a teenager desperately wants a specific brand of clothing or shoes, they are longing for significance and belonging. So often we seek to address the symptoms, but the core need remains within us. That's why this question, what do you want me to do for you, is such a critical question. And I don't believe what do you want me to do for you is an open-ended offer from God that I'll give you whatever you want, fill in the blank. That will be a total distortion of Jesus' intent behind the question. 
But this question is meant to sift our hearts. It's intended to move us beyond superficial feelings to our deepest needs. Now, what does a doctor do in order to diagnose a medical condition? They ask questions, lots of them. When did you notice this first? How often do you experience this? How severe is the pain? The questions of the physician are meant to diagnose the problem. And that's what Jesus does with his questions. The great physician uses questions as a diagnostic tool that reveals the true condition of our heart. 2,000 years ago, there was a man in Jericho who had a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus. And Jesus asked him the same question. What do you want me to do for you? The man articulated his deepest need and it resulted in a complete life change. This encounter not only met his core need, but also helped him to become a devoted disciple of Jesus. I'm going to ask us to stand right now as we read our text for today from Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Lord, we come before you today wrestling with this important question that you asked. And sometimes we must admit that we don't really know what we truly want from you. Would you make that clear to us today that you will sift through our hearts to help us to see our deepest needs, to understand your compassion and your power to make a difference in our life. So we ask, Lord, that you will come and minister to each one of us personally through the power of your Spirit. For we ask this in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. A survey was conducted to find out what are some things people pray for. And people admitted asking God's help to win the lottery, find a good parking spot in the mall for their favorite team to win. I'm sure soccer fans were praying not too long ago. To not get caught for speeding. Well, who's not guilty of that? For someone's relationship to end, that's a little creepy. And for someone to get fired. 
And I don't know if you know this, pastors like me pray for good weather in winter so you can come to church. And we also pray for bad weather in summer so you can come to church. <laughs> we want Jesus to do all kinds of things for us. In fact, some Christian groups have created a bellhop version of Jesus who exists to do your bidding. And I think C.S. Lewis put it so very well when he wrote, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. That's why I believe one of the most challenging questions Jesus asked was, what do you want me to do for you? Do you know what you want Jesus to do for you? We asked that question to a few people in our church. So just watch this video to see their response. Biggest want in life. Oh, that's tough. What do you want in your life right now? I would say that my biggest want in life would be more time. Because there's just so many things you could do, so many places to go, people to meet, that I wish that I could just do it all. What I want most of the time is like more of stuff. Yeah. What, what's some of that stuff you want more of? Uh, more time with my kids, more money, uh, more time with family, um, more time off, say, vacationing or whatever, uh, more time reading, that's one of the things I like doing. I want my family to know and to love Jesus and to follow him faithfully. Um, I want to model that well myself. Honestly, I think it's to um, have a really good marriage and a family. Peace in my own relationships, peace with other people between themselves, between countries, just peace. How do you work at peace in your life? I guess peace in my own relationships just comes from mostly humility and being able to say, you know what, I might not be right in this situation, or just saying, being right isn't worth fighting over. And so, I don't know, peace, putting peace over yourself. So, so if Jesus asks you, what do you want from me? Great. What do you say? Uh, thank you, first. I'm, great. I'm just grateful. I'm just grateful for what he's already given. Your family, you talked about family. And so what do you have? You have two girls? Two little girls, beautiful wife, yeah. And a lot of care. A lot of care and support um, and kindness. Um, yeah, a lot of health in those relationships too already, which is something I really value. If he was standing here and asking me that, I think I'd feel uh, kind of like he was promising me the answer. 
And I'd probably, I think I'd ask him actually if I could hear his voice all the time. Love me and use me in a way that glorifies him because I am so thankful for already what I have seen him do in my life. I think if I could ask Jesus for anything, it would be for him to bring whole healing to everybody in whatever way that, that they need. What about for you? <laughs> yeah, I would ask him for physical healing. I've been believing for healing for 10 years now, so I'm challenged to continue to believe that it will come and God is able. So I just put my trust in him regardless of what I feel like day to day. But yeah, for me, it would be physical healing. So, do you know what you want Jesus to do for you? Blind Bartimaeus serves as a model for all of us for in the context of Mark chapter 10, he is presented as the model disciple. Bartimaeus knew what his deepest need was, and he believed that Jesus was well able to meet that need. If you look at the context of our passage, Jesus is passing through the city of Jericho towards Jerusalem, which was 25 kilometers away. And this would be Jesus' final entry into Jerusalem for soon it would be the week of Passover, and he would die on the cross. This is also Jesus' final healing miracle recorded in the Gospel of Mark. Look at verse 46 of our text. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. As Jesus came into the city of Jericho, there were large crowds following him. And Jesus was accustomed to the crowds. In this particular case, uh, some of them in the crowd were his followers, and others were pilgrims who were making their way to Jerusalem for the Passover. The day began like any other day for blind Bartimaeus. We don't know if he was uh, born blind or he lost his sight later in life. But what we know is he didn't suffer from partial blindness, but he couldn't see anything. There was no social welfare system during that time, so it was impossible for him to find work or earn a livelihood. So Bartimaeus resorted to what was the only option for people like him in those times, begging, living on the mercy of others. He was not the only beggar around. Beggars were common sight in the ancient world. They position themselves in a strategic place where there is maximum traffic so they can get people's attention. Potamias was sitting by the roadside. Much of his life was spent here. His only piece of belonging was his cloak. He would spread the cloak to collect the coins that people threw at him. The cloak was his source of comfort at night when it got cold. Potamaeus was stuck in life, sitting by the roadside as everybody else just moved past him. There was no way out, no remedy, no one who could offer help, 
No one strong enough to lift him from his pit of despair. He lived in a society that ignored its afflicted, saw them as cursed or under divine judgment. In many ways, Bartimaeus represents some of us today. Maybe you are stuck in life, not able to move on, pulled down by the demands of life and its overwhelming challenges. You are in a rut and filled with despair. Maybe it's a divorce that has shaken you so much that you can't see the path that is ahead of you. Or you can't find meaningful employment for quite a long time. Maybe it's a major problem, a crisis that you're staring at that's stealing your hope. And here you are by the roadside, feeling stranded, isolated. Everyone else is walking past you, but no one cares to offer any help. If that describes you, I want you to know that I've been praying for you, and the Lord wants to speak to you personally today. 1,600 years ago, early church church father Augustine read the story of Bartimaeus and commented, The wretched helplessness of fallen humanity is seen symbolically in the blindness of Bartimaeus. Interestingly, if you notice this, the gospel writers hardly give names of people who receive healing from Jesus. The healing miracles are impressive, but you don't know their names. For instance, you have reference to the woman with the issue of blood who touched the hem of Jesus' garment It was a great act of faith that brought instant healing. What's her name? We don't know. There's a man with a legion of demons. Jesus sets him completely free. His life is radically transformed. What's his name? We don't know. Most of the people who received miracles in the Gospels are unnamed, anonymous characters. In fact, this is the only healing narrative in Mark's gospel in which the name of the person who directly received healing is mentioned. So in all probability, when Mark wrote his gospel, people were familiar with this name. Bartimaeus must have been a well-known name in the early church. How did he become famous? Now look at verse 47. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, He began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. A regular day turned into an action-packed day when Bartimaeus found out that Jesus was coming. Generally, blind people have an enhanced sense of hearing. They rely so much on their ears. So Bartimaeus heard the commotion all around him as people hurried past in excitement. Jesus of Nazareth was passing through Jericho. Jesus was extremely popular. People were talking about him. This is a man who does miracles. He performs amazing acts of healings. He teaches God's word with authority. He even commands evil spirits and they leave. Who is this guy? Surely blind Bartimaeus had heard about Jesus. Maybe a first-hand account from someone who had encountered the Savior. And Barnabas knew if there was one person who was able to help him, it was Jesus. And sitting by the roadside that day, blind Bart comes to know that Jesus was passing by. 
This was his moment of reckoning. This was opportunity knocking at the door. He was not going to sit by the wayside and let it slip. So Bartimaeus shouted out loud, Son of David, have mercy on me. This is the first time the phrase Son of David appears in Mark's gospel. The Son of David is the Messiah who brings God's kingdom. You know, last weekend we saw that Peter made the clear confession that Jesus was the Messiah. Now Bartimaeus makes a similar confession. He calls Jesus the messianic figure in the lineage of David. Jesus was passing through Jericho towards Jerusalem. So Bartimaeus' confession prepares the way for Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem as its fitting king. Now it's incredible that Bartimaeus had such deep, profound understanding of the identity of Jesus. He stands in total contrast to the rest of the characters in Mark chapter 10. You have to read the story along with the surrounding stories in this chapter in order to get that contrast. Mark is a skillful writer and he intends this comparison. The religious leaders, as usual, are blind and are unable to see. They were going to plot the death of Jesus in Jerusalem. In Mark chapter 10, you also have the story of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus seeking for eternal life, but he's blinded by his possessions and turns away sad. And right after that, the disciples, James and John, came to Jesus, and when Jesus asked them the same question that he asked Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Look at what they asked for. Verses uh, 35 to 37 of Mark chapter 10. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Same question, what do you want me to do for you? Wrong response. Make us great. Now you can't think of a more self-centered, outlandish request. So the religious leaders cannot see. A rich young man of authority is unable to see. Even the disciples cannot see. Ironically, the only one in Mark's gospel with spiritual vision is this blind beggar. While James and John show such entitlement, the beggar makes no such demands. Bartimaeus asks for mercy. For Bartimaeus knew the promises in the Old Testament of the Messiah, the chosen servant of the Lord, who will bring God's kingdom to the least and the marginalized. The Messiah would open blind eyes and would set the captives free. And that is why he was so desperate that day to get Jesus' attention. There was one problem. The crowd with throngs of people following Jesus, how could this blind man get noticed? So Bartimaeus shouted on top of his lungs. It greatly annoyed the crowd, and they thought he was being a nuisance. So they wanted to gag him. Who is this insignificant blind beggar 
to get the attention of the famous rabbi. Maybe Jesus was in the middle of a discourse, as rabbis always do when they, they taught as they walked. So the people tried to shush Bartimaeus. Verse 48 tells us, uh, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. This was Bartimaeus' only chance. Jesus was walking past him. If he didn't get Jesus' attention, he would totally miss out. This opportunity wasn't going to come back again. In fact, Jesus would never ever set foot on Jericho again because he was headed to Jerusalem to die on the cross. This surely was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Now you have to feel Bartimaeus' desperation. For most of his life, he had remained hopeless, stuck by the roadside, pitied by others, living under their mercy. But now, for the first time, he is about to encounter hope. So he used his voice to cry out loud and get Jesus' attention. The people in the crowd were not very sympathetic. They basically said, shut up, Bartimaeus. And he cried, son of David, have mercy on me. The folks were upset and they yelled, are you going to keep quiet? Son of David, have mercy on me. If you don't close your mouth, we will make sure you never ever speak again. Son of David, have mercy on me. It is so touching to see Bartimaeus' persistence. You know, we all would like Jesus to do something for us, but are we really that desperate? How desperate are you for Jesus' intervention in your life? In that impossible, hopeless situation that you are dealing with, how deeply do you desire for Jesus to make a difference? Fanny Crosby, the great gospel hymn writer, lost her sight as a little baby. But like Bartimaeus, she demonstrated extraordinary spiritual insight. Many feel that it was the story of blind Bartimaeus that inspired her to write the beloved hymn, Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry, while on others thou art calling. Do not pass me by. I want to remind us this morning that we have a compassionate Savior who is attentive to our Christ. That day, he heard blind Bartimaeus cry amidst the noise of the crowd. Remember, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. This is the reason the Son of God incarnated on planet Earth. His mission was to die on the cross as a ransom for the sins of the whole world. Jesus' eyes were already set on the cross while he was walking through Jericho. He was going to die in a few days. The world's salvation was at stake. And even when the shadow of the cross was looming large, Jesus saw this one man's distress and he stopped for Bartimaeus. He stood still and he looked at Bartimaeus. He saw his desperation. He identified with his tears. They did not go unnoticed. That is the compassion of Jesus. He sees us in whatever state that we are in. 
the silent cries of your heart, the heartbreaks that you have experienced, the disappointments that you carry, the pain in your soul that you wrestle with on a daily basis, never ever escapes Jesus' attention. He still is our compassionate Savior. He is well attentive to our cries for help. Now look at verse 48. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Did you notice something? Jesus used the same people who had rebuked Bartimaeus, now to say, cheer up, get up on your feet, he's calling you. Bartimaeus, you blind beggar, why would Jesus have time for someone so insignificant like you? Just be quiet. Oh, okay. Excuse me, Bartimaeus. I think Jesus wants to talk to you. I just love it. Now look at Bartimaeus' response. Verse 50. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. You know, only an eyewitness account can give you details like this. Jesus stopped. And here you have Bartimaeus throwing his cloak and jumping up to his feet. Now, this is one of the most graphic images in our text. Whoever the eyewitness was, it grabbed their attention. And I'm sure Mark is trying to say something significant here. The cloak had all along been Bartimaeus' identity. He was a beggar. The cloak defined him. And this cloak had been his only source of comfort. Sitting by the roadside or sleeping on the open, he wrapped his cloak around him to keep him warm, to make him feel better, help him cope with life. It was his means of survival. The cloak symbolized all of his old life. But when he heard the call of Jesus, he threw that cloak away. There's a sudden rush of energy that consumed that haunting hopelessness in his soul. He concluded that he needed that cloak no more. As a symbolic gesture, as an act of faith, he takes that cloak off. He removes his survival mechanisms, his coping techniques, and casts himself fully at Jesus' feet. And I tell you, that is your key to breakthrough. When you cast yourself fully into the hands of Jesus, you will discover what Jesus can do. Also, putting it into the context of Mark chapter 10, the rich young ruler is unwilling to give up his possessions. Blind Bartimaeus lays aside the only possession he has and runs to Jesus. Absolutely nothing was going to hinder him. And now, Bartimaeus stands face to face with Jesus. The Lord of the universe asked Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? If you think about this, that's an odd question to ask a blind man. It's like taking my kids to a candy store and asking them, what do you want me to do for you? They're not going to say, Daddy, I want you to help me with homework. <laughs> you know, what else could Bartimaeus have asked for? If you pay attention to this carefully, the fact that he didn't just ask for arms or food, but for sight shows that he grasped who Jesus was. 
it was also a proof that he was willing to leave his old life behind and embrace this new path of following Jesus. When I went to university in India, I used to take uh, the local train, like the sea train here, and I had to walk across a long bridge from the railway station to the main street. And this long pathway was full of beggars. There will be one every five feet. They will fight for their space. And many of them were lepers, some of them were crippled, and the others blind. And what is fascinating is, even when medical help was extended to them by Christian hospitals, they would refuse that offer for help because if they get well, they had to start working. Now, if you want to be a successful beggar, disability was a requirement. People wouldn't give money to somebody who is healthy and able-bodied. So the life of begging was all that they knew. It was predictable. They were all well acquainted with it, and they did not want to change. Oftentimes, we are like that. We like the status quo and don't want to change. We get used to a certain way of life that we get comfortable with our problems, even with our miseries. We use the victim card to get people's attention. You know that there are some people who always talk about their problems? Do you have anybody in your life like that? Why? Because they're so addicted to their negative experiences and emotions that they always want to throw a pity party for themselves. And that kind of an attitude, unfortunately, doesn't help. You know, Jesus constantly invites us to stop being a victim and desire the life abundant and full that he has in mind for us. So when you hear Jesus calling you, throw off the cloak and come to him with great expectations. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus wanted Bartimaeus to articulate his need. So look at verses 51 and 52. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Sometimes when Jesus asked a person what they wanted, he not only gave them what they asked for, but also what they truly needed. Bartimaeus asked for sight. And Jesus tells him, your faith has healed you. The word healed has a double meaning. It also means saved. So it intends both physical and spiritual healing. So Jesus is saying, Bartimaeus, your faith has healed you. It has made you whole on the inside and the outside. You are a new person. Now go your way. What did Bartimaeus do? Many people, if you notice, who received healing in the Gospels went their own way. 
They received what they so desperately wanted. Jesus was their vending machine. I got it. I won the jackpot. I am now going to pursue my own dreams. See you later. Not Bartimaeus. A text tells us explicitly, he followed Jesus along the road, along the way, which is symbolic of the path of discipleship. Where was that road leading to? Towards Jerusalem, and it would end on the cross. The account began with Bartimaeus seated by the way, but it finishes with Bartimaeus following Jesus on the way. Mark is presenting him as the true disciple who understands the identity of Jesus, acknowledges his own helplessness, is willing to risk ridicule. He relies on the mercy of God and follows Jesus all the way to the cross and embraces his mission. So that is Bartimaeus' way of saying by his actions, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. When Jesus brings a breakthrough in your life, when he meets your deepest need, when you experience his miraculous touch, when he turns your life around, it's not so you can follow your own selfish dreams for your life. It's so that you can follow Jesus as his disciple. What do you want me to do for you? This is not an open-ended offer but it is a call to evaluate what our heartfelt needs are that Jesus alone can satisfy. So is what you are asking Jesus to do in your life a legitimate, heartfelt request like Bartimaeus? Or is it an outlandish request like James and John? If Jesus were to grant you this request, will it draw you closer to him? Will you be a better disciple of the Lord Jesus? That is the bottom line. Jesus granted Bartimaeus more than what he had asked for. It in turn helped him to become a fully devoted follower of Christ. Now let me close with this. When tourists visit India, they usually get surrounded by kids from the slums begging for money. Pastor Sky Jatani, in his book, The Divine Commodity, writes about his visit to New Delhi along with his father. A boy about six years old, almost naked, thin as a rail, followed them, asking for money. He was persistent and simply wouldn't let go. While Sky and his dad tried to ignore the boy, he kept shouting, one rupee please, one rupee please, that's the Indian currency. Finally, Sky's father stopped, and he looked at the boy, and he asked, What do you want? The boy responded, One rupee, sir, and stretched forth his hand. Now, Sky's dad looked at the boy, and he said, How about I give you five rupees? The boy retracted his hand and sneered at them. He started walk walking away, muttering curses under his breath because no one had offered him more than what he had asked for. So he thought this was all a joke. Sky's dad reached into his pocket and pulled out a five rupee currency, and the stunned boy realized this was for real. He kept staring at the money 
in utter disbelief, totally astounded. And finally, when realization hit, he fell at their feet saying, thank you, thank you. And Sky Jatani says in his book, this, I imagine, is how God sees us. We are miserable creatures in desperate need of help. Rather than asking for what we truly need, rather than believing God's generous promises, we settle for lesser things. We ask for the wrong things. And when God refuses to grant our misled desires, we walk away cursing him under our breath. And we simply cannot imagine a God who would give five rupees and all that we desire is one. I'm going to ask us to stand as we come to an end. The questions Jesus asked are not just in the Gospels. But I believe that he continues to ask us questions today. So this very question that he asked Bartimaeus is the same question that he poses to every single one of us here. What do you want me to do for you? And I believe Jesus is here in this place and he is walking by. And it's an opportunity for you to get his attention and let him know what you truly need. Be concise and clear and specific. I'm going to give you some time to reflect on that question. And at this time, I'm going to invite uh, our prayer partners to come up here and line up here at the altar. If there are any pastors and ministry leaders, please come forward here as well. If you are carrying a heavy burden in your heart, I want to encourage you to come forward here to the altar and pray with someone here. You know, it's your way of saying to Jesus, this is what you need, and you need it desperately. So in the silence of this moment, feel free to just come forward here to the altar. The rest of us, it's an opportunity for us as well, even while we are standing there in the quietness of your heart to express your true needs to Jesus. He is still a compassionate Savior, so he is not going to walk by without looking at you. Let's maintain a moment of silence. For those of you who want prayer, feel free to come forward here. After a moment of silence, I'll close us in prayer.
Lord, you know us like nobody else does. You know what our true needs are. So we come to you today believing in who you are, that you are a compassionate Savior. We come to you believing in your promises that you alone can satisfy our true needs, that you are the living water that we need. And when we come to you and when we drink of you, your promise is that we will thirst no more. So we cling to you today, Lord. We pray for your intervention. For those of us here who are in need of a healing touch, we pray that you will stretch forth your nail-pierced hands and bring physical healing in their body. We pray for those who are facing impossible situations. May this be an opportunity for them to discover the power of Jesus. You are a risen Savior, and you are alive in our midst. So we pray, Lord Jesus, that we will see you more clearly, that we will believe in your promises and trust in your generous heart to give us life abundant and full. And even as we leave this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet, unfailing fellowship of the Holy Spirit may rest and abide with each and every one of us, both now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. 